Welcome to Baby Steps, a podcast series brought to you by Janaya, intended for healthcare professionals. My name is Dr. Sam Hay, and in this podcast series, we're talking about how best to support your patients who might be struggling to have a baby. Today's episode, Managing Miscarriage, focuses on what GPs can do to support patients through early pregnancy loss. While it's often of little comfort to women and couples who experience a miscarriage, they're not alone. As many as one in four pregnancies will end in miscarriage. Joining us online is Samantha Payne, CEO of Pink Elephants, a not-for-profit charity formed to support women through miscarriage, pregnancy loss and beyond. Also joining us online is Dr Anthony Marin, a Janaya fertility specialist with a special interest in the management of patients experiencing recurrent miscarriage. He's also a research lead for academic gynaecology at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and the University of Sydney, with projects investigating the immune causes of recurrent miscarriage. G'day, and welcome to you both. So, Samantha, can you tell us a bit about how the Pink Elephant Support Network came about? Sure. Um, So we are Australia's first charity that's dedicated solely to the needs of those that go through early pregnancy loss. And by that, we define as a loss prior to around that 20-week mark. The reason uh, we founded Pink Elephants was we went through our own journeys of early pregnancy loss. And we were really shocked and dismayed to find out that there was a severe lack of support out there for women and their partners going through this journey. Um, So I myself went through recurrent pregnancy loss and... After my second miscarriage, I really felt the need to speak with somebody else who just totally understood what I was going through from a lived experience perspective. And that's where the idea for the Pink Elephants came from. And then gradually over the last four years, we've grown and we've grown really organically because there's a strong desire from women and their partners to access this type of support. Um, So it's really making a difference. And why is it called Pink Elephant? So everyone thinks it's the elephant in the room, but actually the reason is is because within the elephant community, if a mother elephant loses her baby, the other elephants form a physical circle of support around her. Right. Yeah, and that for us, that kind of brought to life the vision that we were looking to create. So what we offer is a circle of support for those that are going through this journey. I, I love that. That's a fantastic name. And what sort of support is it that you do provide? So we're an early intervention peer support model. Um, So the ideas behind that, again, is that connection to somebody else who's been through this with lived experience. So we provide different types of support. Firstly, we provide emotional support resources, which are for the woman who's going through the loss and her partner and immediate friend, loved one circle. And they're all available to download via our website absolutely free. And we also distribute them to hospitals, clinics and GP surgeries. And then on top of our resources, we have online communities so that when women come to us, they can then select a community that resonates with them. And that might be our miscarriage grief group. It might be our termination for medical reasons group, or it might be our pregnancy after loss group because they may have fallen pregnant again. Or it may be our preconception group when they're trying to conceive again after loss because there's a different mindset for each of those phases in the journey. So we identified that journey and we created supportive groups at each point. And then what we did last year as well was we actually launched what's known as our personalised peer support programme. And that's whereby we offer women mentoring. So we will connect them with another woman who's been through loss, who can guide them and mentor them through their own journey over the phone. Um, And that's up to six free phone sessions with the same ambassador. Right. 
And why do you think it is so important for women to connect with others that have experienced their miscarriage? So you will, I know the audience that I'm speaking to is GP, so respectful of research that's happening that will help probably put some clarity around this is that, for example, this year, Professor Tom Bond from um, University College London published a paper which clearly links early pregnancy loss to trauma, anxiety and depression. Right. For up to nine months post the loss, yeah. those symptoms are still at a clinical level for up to a fifth of patients. So we believe that by providing a safe, nurturing space for women to connect with other women who've been through this experience, we can actually help to reduce those statistics because we can alleviate some of this stress. But what we also do, we recently ran our own survey with our communities and we we realised that what we're actually doing is we're empowering women then to go back to healthcare professionals such as their GP and say, I'm not coping. This yep. is becoming bigger than something that I can deal with alone. Can you refer me to a clinical psychologist for extra support? So we're yep. preventing women and their partners from falling through the gaps, whereas normally there's no follow-up within the system for women with a loss prior to 20 weeks. So we fill that gap. So you're talking about women experiencing you know, significant mental health anguish for up to nine months, but, but how many women are we talking about? You know, Miscarriage is devastating, but how many Aussie women are, are affected? Awful. And this is the part that made me really angry back in the day when it was, let's do something about this, because I didn't realise just how large an, uh, an issue this is. What it, 282 women every day will hear the word, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat. Wow. Well, that's 103,000 couples. It's huge. That is massive. Um, yeah, it really is. And do you think Aussie women on the whole feel supported? with this whole journey? We actually, sadly, had it confirmed in a survey last year, which we collaborated with the University of Melbourne, Professor Jade Billiardi and Professor Meredith Temple-Smith around this, uh, around the issue of miscarriage support. And we discovered that at least 75% of them said they don't feel supported and that 88% want a referral for peer support from the healthcare professional. That's a lot. There's three in four women are really struggling. What about the blokes? Exactly the same. So, again, the amazing team through the University of Melbourne are heading up some um, first research into the partner side of things. And it's becoming just as evident. They've recently run some focus groups last year and they found that very similar statistics. I can't quote them because I don't know them off my heart, but what I do know is that men were saying that they wanted the same thing. They wanted online communities. They want mm-hmm. safe spaces to connect and just to talk through what they're facing. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that the, the partner, whether they be female or male, often gets a bit forgotten in this whole uh, issue, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a partner resource on our website for that reason, um, and we're looking to launch some extra additional partner support towards the end of this year. And um, because exactly right, they fall into this support role rather than actually being able to process their own grief. Yeah. Okay. So practically, as a GP, how can I get my patient connected with Pink Elephant? Um, it's as simple as sending them to miscarriagesupport.org.au um, and I'm sure the links will be put in the footnotes of this podcast. Um, but it's really that simple. And on socials, they can find us at Pink Elephant Support. We do provide DL flyers for GPs. If anybody would like to access them, to have them within your practice, please reach out to us, support at pinkelephantsupport.com and we'll arrange those. There's no cost to GP surgeries for those. The biggest thing that you can do for your patients, though, is to make them feel like this is not their fault. The amount 
of women that leave devastated and that whole process of self-blame starts, it's really important that they hear it from a healthcare professional, that it wasn't their fault, that it was nothing they did led to this pregnancy loss to happen and that you're sorry for their loss. Validate that they're entitled to feel bereaved. Yeah. That's some really important insights because as GPs, we're often the first people that are interacting with our patients when miscarriage comes along. So it's important that we understand how we can perhaps soften things and and make it a bit easier for them. So, Samantha, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Dr. Anthony Marin, um, Pink Elephant and Janaya have formed a special partnership. Can you tell us a bit more about it and why it's so important? Uh, So pregnancy loss is obviously quite distressing uh, to women and couples and Janaya along with uh, Pink Elephants is uh, passionate about opening up the conversation around early pregnancy loss uh, and basically trying to support women and and couples uh, through this um, difficult process and time. And look, as GPs on the front line, primary healthcare, we're, we're often having the miscarriage discussion with our patients. But one of the, I think, the hardest things we've got to talk about is the why. You know, what sort of, what are the reasons that you can explain to GPs about why people might be experiencing these early pregnancy losses? So, firstly, I, I, I think it's probably important to say that uh, the rate of pregnancy loss increases according to the female age. And so, for instance, when the woman is young, say in her uh, 20s, early 30s, it's around about sort of 15% per pregnancy. Um, And then it starts to sort of climb after 35 and certainly once you hit around about sort of 45, about 90% of pregnancies are are unfortunately lost. Right. The second thing to say is that uh, what we sort of see is what we call like a clinical pregnancy loss where someone's definitely missed a period or they've got to the stage of a scan and and, and then the pregnancy is lost on scan. But there's a whole lot of pregnancy loss that occurs much earlier on in the piece. Right. So these, um, you know, um, you know, early implantations that sort of fail and things like that. So we often sort of talk about this iceberg effect where we only sort of see the tip um, of all of the pregnancy loss that actually occurs. So is that like the, the pregnancy is lost before we probably even knew that they were pregnant? Correct, yeah, yeah, before it's actually really recognised. Um and I think most pregnancy losses, when they're just a one-off loss, most likely, and ultimately we never truly sort of know, but it's most likely just due to a, a chromosomal error in the pregnancy itself. Uh, and essentially the pregnancy fails at a certain stage um, and then the pregnancy is sort of passed. Uh, so for one-off or just sporadic losses, it's most likely to be an, an embryo issued, again, chromosomal. Um, whereas when it becomes recurrent, um, then other factors can be at play. Right. And when I'm talking to, to patients, I often say that it's, it's almost impossible to bring on a miscarriage. You know, there's, there's almost nothing you can do to bring that on. Is, is that a correct term? Yeah, look, I, I would tend to agree. So I think a lot of people sort of look at what they've done and and, and some ways try to blame themselves. And and it is it would be near impossible to try and bring on a miscarriage. There are studies that have looked at, at stress and, and pregnancy loss, and they are difficult to do. But the data that we have would tend to suggest that stress doesn't lead to an increase in miscarriage rate. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the only thing that, you know, may 
you know, if someone was really unwell with a flu-like illness and a really high temperature, then that may lead to a miscarriage. But that's not something that the patient themselves is sort of causing. So therefore, when, as GPs, when should we consider the, the necessity to refer them on to a specialist such as yourself? Yeah, so the, the definition of recurrent pregnancy losses sort of changed over the years. So it was traditionally defined as three pregnancy losses. And if you use that definition, then you end up investigating about 1% of the population. And if you do all of the traditional investigations, uh, you can uncover a cause in in about half to two-thirds. Due to the stress that pregnancy loss causes, um, nearly all of the international guidelines have shifted, uh, and they're now suggesting that we offer investigations after two. Right. you investigate about 5% of the population and you uncover a cause in just under a half. Um, However, a lot of people after two, they're often quite concerned about what's going to happen with the next pregnancy. And so they'll often be happy to have those investigations. And if they're all normal, then you can sort of reassure them that it's sort of safe to continue. Does age come into that? Like, should it be three when they're younger and two when they're older? Uh... Probably not, to be quite honest with you, because if someone's quite young, then the risk of chromosomal error uh, is a little bit less. So if they've sort of had two, for instance, then they may be at a slightly higher risk of, of, of something else happening in the background. Um, and probably the other thing that I would also say that if someone has a, a late loss, so and by that I mean that's a pregnancy loss that's beyond 10 weeks, and it's t- 10 weeks of, of, of proven ultrasound size, then they really should be investigated even after one because right. uh, it's quite unusual to, uh, to to lose a pregnancy after 10 weeks. So as GPs, we should be thinking about after the second one, uh, referring them off for some advice or a late one after that first? Correct. And are there things that we can do, are there investigations we can do that are going to assist you so we, we can organise before we send them? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, in, in terms of the sort of causes of recurrent pregnancy loss, so um, w- one of the things that we want to do is you, we basically want to get a carrier type of, of, of both um, in the couple. And it's also not a bad idea that if someone's having a pregnancy or having a miscarriage, if they can, for instance, collect some tissue um, um, it can be a bit difficult for some, but but a, a lot are happy to do it. And it just needs to be stored in a clean jar and and yeah. put in the fridge and then taken to a pathology centre. Then you can also sort of uh, carrier type the products of conception. So the carrier types are really quite important, and they also take the longest to come back. So they take about six to eight weeks to come back. So it's often nice to sort of get that investigation done relatively early. So I wasn't aware of that. So that's going to be a that's going to be a difficult conversation that we'll be having with our patients as the GP of if this unfortunately happens, we want you to consider keeping some of that tissue. Yeah, so if they've, if they've already had a couple of pregnancy losses, then, then if they can collect the tissue, um, then it does sort of help in as far as it gives a bit of a reason as to why the pregnancy loss is occurring. And so, for instance... You know, if it comes back as a trisomy 16, for instance, then it then it clearly it's a it's a chromosomal issue and, and it gives them a, a, an answer. Whereas if the pregnancy is chromosomally normal, then, then miscarrying a normal pregnancy again it's a bit unusual. So it means that it, you're probably more likely to find something else in the other investigations. Okay. 
The other investigations that can be sort of really sort of helpful um, is one is a, a good quality uh, ultrasound where they have a good look at the uterine anatomy. And I think most of us now would, would suggest a, a three-dimensional reconstruction of the uterine cavity plus also a test called a sonohistogram where the ultrasound people inject a little bit of fluid into the uterus. Um, that would probably be the standard of investigation now to, to look for uterine um, abnormalities that are either um, in, e either congenital, such as a uterine septum, or acquired, such as a polyp or a fibroid. So, so there's a lot there that we could potentially do that will help you at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and as I said, like some of these investigations, they take a, a little bit of time. And so if, every, if, if the couple sort of turn up and the routine sort of stuff that we would do have been done, uh, then we can have a much more meaningful conversation straight up. Uh, and, and also th then they're not sort of waiting, you know, the six to eight weeks for a carrier type to come back and so on. Now, when it comes to the imaging, there are certainly some specialist uh, imaging places out there for, for women's health and uh, obstetric issues. Is it worthwhile that we, we ask our patients to go to those places? Uh, without a doubt. So uh, the, the, the specialist centres, they're usually obstetricians, gynaecologists that have done some additional training in, in, in obstetrics and gynae ultrasound, and that's all they do. Uh, so they, you know, they're not doing MRIs of the brain or yeah. X-rays of any bones. That's all they do day in, day out. Yeah. Um, they're also they have a clinical background as well, so they know what's relevant and what's not. Um, and the report that you get from them is is just so much more informative than than a lot of the reports that we get from a, a general ultrasound or, or general radiology practice. Absolutely. So as GPs, there's a lot we can do to prepare the patient to get to you. But, but then what happens? What sort of treatments are available? Yeah, so I think, as I said, like if someone's had three losses, uh, we would expect to find an underlying cause in about half to two-thirds. If someone's had two, we, we find a cause in just under a half. So the group where it's unexplained... Um, uh, what, what's really important there is we basically sit there and say, look, all of the investigations are normal. Um, this data would tell us if they go on and achieve another pregnancy, the most likely outcome is going to be a positive outcome. And often, of, 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 often those couples just need a bit more reassurance and a bit more support with the next pregnancy. And, and so often, you know, that just means doing some additional, you know, pregnancy hormone and progesterone levels and an early ultrasound and that sort of, that TLC sort of care. And, and that in itself has been shown to be advantageous. In terms of if something is found, so, if, you know, for instance, if there's a uterine septum on an ultrasound, then obviously we're going to be directing our treatment specifically to that. So we'd be talking about a hysteroscopic procedure and division of septum. Right. Or if one of the thrombophilias is positive, then we're going to talk about some kind of anticoagulation in the pregnancy, um, whether or not that's uh, you know low molecular weight heparin, plus or minus aspirin, and so on and so forth. So each of the, each of the tests that we do, um, then basically we're... We're, you know, looking for a specific cause and, and by and large there's a treatment for it. Okay. Now, another term that I'm seeing used a lot more now is this pre-implantation screening. Um, how does that fit in and how does that help reduce miscarriage rates? So, uh, essentially, as a woman gets older, 
um, then the rate of sort of chromosomal error in, in the eggs, unfortunately, goes up. And it's that increase in, in, in chromosomal error which leads to a reduction in fertility and an increase in miscarriage. Um, and so, for instance, if couples do a cycle of IVF and they get embryos tested, the rate of chromosomal error is is directly related to the age of the woman. Right. And in our young population, less than 35, about 30% of those embryos are going to be abnormal. Right. However, if you come up to about 43 or 44, then about 80 to 90% of those embryos wow. so that's will be abnormal. So it's a lot. So if you've got someone who's had a few pregnancy losses, all of the screening that you've done is normal. So the uterus is normal. There's no thrombophilia. Um, and particularly if you've tested one of the pregnancies and, and, and there was a chromosomal error, then it's likely that, that those women are having recurrent pregnancy loss due to recurrent chromosomal error. Okay. So if you can take those women through an IVF cycle and you can get embryos tested, and if you manage to get a normal embryo, then if you put that normal embryo back, then it should implant somewhere between about 50 and 60% of cases. And the miscarriage rate is very low. It's less than 5%. Right. So the advantage of that is, is obviously having miscarriages is, is, is incredibly stressful and distressing. So if you can reduce that, then you, you're going to reduce that psychological burden. But the other thing is that if a woman falls pregnant, gets to, say, eight weeks, they find out that's a miscarriage, they have a procedure, then they wait, you know, four to six weeks for their period to come back. Ultimately, it ends up being quite a few months before that woman or couple yeah. is ready to try again. Yep. And if the woman's like 41 or 42 and she loses, you know, four to six months each time mm. there's a miscarriage then that will really disadvantage um, her in her ability to achieve a successful outcome. Right. So the whole embryo testing um, uh, is, is really about you know, finding that embryo that's going to give the, the, the greatest chance of implantation and the, and the lowest risk of miscarriage. And is that what GeneSure is about? Correct. Um, so it's basically where... where it's at the day five or six stage where the embryo is over 100 cells. And we basically take about five cells that basically go on to form the future placenta. We, we biopsy those and we amplify up the genetic material and then we screen it and we look at all of the chromosomes. So we're not just looking at, say, chromosomes 13, 18, 21. We're looking at all of the chromosomes. Yeah. And we basically sort the embryos out into those that are chromosomally normal and those that are not. And what sets that process apart at Janaya? Uh, so I, I think certainly in, in Australia, we were um, one of the first or if not the first um, company to sort of grow our embryos through to day five, which is now the world standard. Um, in our lab, um, our day surgery and lab is open seven days a week. Right. So we can basically perform our egg collections when we think that the you know, woman's ovaries are, are, are ready to actually have the egg collection process. So we're not restricted to certain days of the week like other clinics. The other important thing is that our genetics lab is actually within our, our, our actual sort of centre. So we're not sending cells interstate or overseas or anything like that. Um, you know, the, the woman will have her egg collection at the right time. 
the embryos are, are biopsied at the right time, um, all of the genetic material or, or genetic testing is done on site. Uh, and so basically we're, we're sort of comfortable that we're, we're, we're giving our patients a, the, the best chance of, of getting a successful outcome. So that GeneSure process is very much a one-stop process? Correct. Now, I'm just wondering about blokes. Um, where do they fit into the miscarriage uh, issue? Yeah, so obviously we want a chromosome blood test on them as well. Uh, the other thing is um, from a semen analysis perspective, so the basic semen analysis looks at the numbers of sperm, it looks at motility, and it looks at how the sperm move. The other thing that's important in miscarriage is something called DNA fragmentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially the genetic material is packaged with inside the head of the sperm. Right. And from the time that sperm starts to be produced to the time that's released is roughly 70 days. And in that time frame, it gets exposed to heat, it gets exposed to toxins, for instance, if the guy smokes. Um, And so that genetic material can be damaged. And if DNA fragmentation is high, then it is associated with an increase in the risk of uh, pregnancy loss. So the sorts of things we do is we look at lifestyle things. So, you know, if they are smoking, we get them to stop smoking. Um, If they do lots of running or cycling, then the temperature is probably not great for the testes, so we ask them to modify that. Um, We introduce things like antioxidants, so vitamin C, E and zinc. Um, We get more regular ejaculation so that, you know, the sperm that's used around the time of fertilisation is as fresh as it can be. And certainly if the couple are doing IVF, we actually have some advanced sperm selection techniques to choose the better quality sperm to bring with the egg um, if DNA fragmentation is an issue. Right. So blokes have got a lot to play, a big part to play as well. Yes, definitely. And it's important that, uh, like, it's one of those things that when I see um, couples, it's really important that we see the couple um, because there's no point subjecting the female to all sorts of investigations, some of which are relatively invasive, but ignore half the equation. Yeah, and that's right. And at the primary healthcare level for GPs, you know, we're, we're often trying to counsel the blokes as well through this process. And so being able to say that they do have a part to play and there, there are factors that they can improve that will make a difference. Yes, definitely. And what other um, strategies do you see that Janaya has to support patients experiencing miscarriage? So obviously there's the support that happens at the at the at the specialist level. So, um, you know, the, the the couple should be appropriately worked up. The underlying problem should be discussed, um, and also a, a range of treatment options should be prevent uh, presented. Um, for those that are then going to undergo fertility treatment, uh, so we have teams of doctors with nurses. So so I have a, a couple of nurses that really just work with me and, and those nurses know my patients just as well as I do really. And those nurses are incredibly sort of supportive. So they do a lot of the communication with the patients. Um, they're the ones that are often sort of talking to the patients, you know, every couple of days and relaying results and things like that. The other thing is that we have um, three sort of counsellors that uh, work with us in, in Sydney. Um, and those, you know, counsellors have a wealth of, of knowledge and experience um, in women with underlying or couples with underlying fertility problems and also pregnancy loss. Uh, and so we always sort of make sure that the uh, patients are aware that the counsellors exist. 
Um, if we can see that the patients are struggling, we'll actually get the counsellors to contact them straight up. Otherwise, what we'll often do is we'll just give the counsellor's number to the patients and then they can choose to make you know, contact with them um, if they want. Um, but, but really, the main thing at Janaya is it, it's, it's, not a, it's not just one person doing, doing everything. It's a, it's a team-based approach from the specialists and nurses and the counsellors. And incredibly comprehensive. Yes. Dr. Merritt, when is it safe for patients to try and conceive again after they've had a miscarriage? Yeah, so after a miscarriage, they should have one completely normal period and then they can start to try. Uh, so, for instance, if someone either spontaneously miscarries or has a curette, then after their next normal period, they can try. Um, there was some old data out about waiting for three months, but there's no evidence for that. However, if a couple do achieve a pregnancy before the next normal period, then that pregnancy is at a slight increased risk of miscarriage. So I think that's going to be very reassuring to a lot of patients and GPs because we've certainly been fed this now misinformation that they have to wait a long time. Correct, yeah. So Dr Marin, to, to finish up, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm wondering if you've got one key message that GPs can have to pass on to their patients who are worried about miscarriage. So... This is really for the patients that have been investigated. They've had a couple of losses and all of the investigations are normal. I think the key message is not to be fearful about having another pregnancy. So if couples have had three pregnancy losses, everything is normal, 70 to 80% of their next pregnancies are going to be completely fine. So it's really important that they're not fearful. Um, the GPs will support them. The specialists will support them. Um, but they should go away and try and achieve another pregnancy. Thanks again for joining us on Baby Steps. I want to thank Samantha Payne and Dr Anthony Marin for sharing their insights and experiences. If you'd like some more information about Janaya, you can visit our website, www.janaya.com forward slash HCP, where you can find a specialist for patient referrals and download resource kits and fact sheets. Or you can also call 1300 511 402 and speak to a Janaya representative. So thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of Baby Steps, where we will be discussing how to deal with the emotional impact of infertility and get tips from a counsellor on how to support patients who might be struggling to conceive. Thanks for joining us.